I mean, I have a lot of friends that own guns, but to a person, if you were to ask them, do they care or do they really, is it going to make a big difference in their lives if there is a little bit more stringent background check, if there was a little bit longer waiting period? No, they don't care because they're procuring their, their firearms legally anyway. You know, so waiting an extra day, having to fill out another another form, it doesn't matter because they're not going out and using it to commit a crime. They're not using it to go out and, and do something that it's not intended for. All right, that's just attention. Uh, the end we've had work in this area, working on the track. Uh, on the track. Welcome to Deeper Dish. friend Craig joins us and we're here to talk about guns not necessarily pro-gun anti-gun we're just here to talk about guns guns in Chicago guns in the broader context of the national conversation Uh, he's going to give us some insight into his background with guns his love for guns and his viewpoint I love guns too though so this isn't this isn't I love you know I love guns too I love shooting guns we've gone shooting we have and he's going to give us some insight into everything he knows about guns within this interview. So I know you live in the Chicago area now, right? Yes. But you're not originally from Chicago. No. So where are you from? I grew up in a small town yep. outside of Peoria, Eureka, 5,000 people. 5,000? Yeah. How many of those people do you think own guns? <laughs> oh, a lot. The reason I ask is because some people are born just into a gun culture, sure. right? They grew up around it. It's it's common. Right. It's, you know, you, you learn all the safety at a young age. So that that's what I was getting at when I was no, asking no. him. And you're right. My friends had BB guns when they, you know, six, seven years old. Yep. Go out hunting with their fathers with a 22, you know, they're 10. You know, so it's not that it's a gun culture, but there, it is a, a gun culture, and I guess, and the fact that, you know, you're comfortable yep. around your firearms at a young age. But... It's not like you're running around irresponsibly either. I mean, you are taught how to handle, how to, any gun is a loaded gun. You know, it's the first thing you're taught, you know, and you never, ever point a gun at anything unless you're going to pull your trigger. And those things are instilled, like I said, when you first start handling any kind of weapon. Yeah. But hunting, you know, where I grew up is commonplace. I mean, whether it's deer, whether it's rabbits, whether it's ducks, whether it's pheasants, whether turkeys, whatever, there's the opportunities to go do that and people do that when i lived in michigan the company i work for ford we're all the big three but ford is the company i work for they would give everybody like a floating holiday but then they were there was another day that was unrelated to anything and i come from the city and like I forget what they called it but it was opening the, day of deer season o- opening a hunting yep. season opening a deer season is it's a friday it's a friday in november and most 
kids when I was in high school, I mean, you were absent from school that day. Okay. So no, nobody got perfect attendance. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not cool. saying everybody, no, but I, know, I mean a lot, people. but yeah. a lot. It was perfectly accepted. As a person coming from the background I came from when I went into Michigan, I was like, what? You go and hunt? Like, oh yeah, this is, this is what we do. This is one, it's big business and it's just a part of who we are, you know? And I was like, okay. But then like the second year I was there, I kind of got it. That holiday, it actually wasn't just in Michigan. It was pretty much anywhere that shared that belief. Because outside of Chicago, I mean, Illinois is a pretty yeah. rural state. They always say, you know, south of I-80. South of 80, go far west on 88, people are hunting and, and, and doing all that stuff. That's the thing, though. Hunting, when I grew up, hunting was like golfing for people. It's a what people do to have fun, enjoy with their right. friends, relax. There's a huge safety component, sure. right? So when you, were, when you were growing up, what type of safety precautions and conversations did you have with your families and the folks that you went hunting with or were handling guns with? You know, my dad grew up in Kansas and, you know, hunted out in Kansas, you know, pheasants, rabbits, you know, whatnot. But then when he moved to Illinois, he wasn't really that much into hunting anymore. Um, but my neighbor, when we were growing up, his dad was huge bow hunter. And so I would always be over there and we'd be doing whatever. And, you know, my neighbor had a BB gun and do you want to shoot this? Oh yeah, of course. I want to shoot this. I mean, come on, what six year old, seven year old doesn't want to you'll shoot your eye out red rider BB gun style. Right. right so, right. but before I could do that, I mean, he talked to my dad, my dad said he was comfortable with it as long as his dad taught me proper safety, mm -hmm. you know, how to handle, you know, and didn't just turn us loose. So that was my first introduction into that. Those lessons today still stick with me. But then my dad enrolled me in a hunter safety course. You learn how to walk in the woods, you know, you learn how just how to do everything. And so safety was overemphasized, honestly, when I was, and that's not a bad thing, but that's where you get that sense of trigger awareness. You get, you know, you get all that stuff at a young age and it just resonates still today. So you grew up around guns enough to be comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. But then you also had another part of your life where you were around a lot of guns and probably in a more structured environment. Uh, well, <laughs> the military is definitely a structured environment. Right, right, right. <laughs> if you're going to learn how to shoot a firearm or a weapon, I would want it to be done in the military, right? Like to learn it, learning how to shoot, you're going to learn to do it the right way. Well, you would think that. I mean, I could tell you some stories of some range incidents where some guys were just, you know, it would blow your mind. But, you know, already having a foundation and a basis of firearms and, I mean, basic training and that kind of indoctrination into, you know, the M16 and stuff like that, it was a breeze because, I mean, if you know how to shoot, you know how to shoot. Uh, you know, those fundamentals don't just go away. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a different platform. It's a different kind of weapon. However, the sight system is pretty much the same, focusing downrange, trigger control, breathing. It, it's all relative. It all translates no matter what you're trying to operate. But yeah, I was exposed to actual automatic weapons. I mean, M16, M240, grenades, all that good stuff, right? Was there any type of situation or type of gun that kind of scared you a little bit? No, not, not really. Because like I said, if you are doing it correctly, there's really nothing to be afraid of. And I think that's where some of the angst in today's environment comes from is just that people are uncomfortable with the subject. They've never been around a gun or they've never fired a gun or they're just a friend of a friend may have had an accident with one at a point in time. And that's the thing. Anything that's foreign or uncomfortable, 
you're always a little leery. So no, there was never an operating system or a platform, a weapon platform that I wasn't comfortable handling. Yeah, for me, because I have bigger hands and I don't shoot as much, <laughs> right, as, as some other people. Yeah. For me, it's it's usually smaller guns, especially smaller guns that have a little bit of kick to it, the, the recoil. I get the sense that the gun's going to slip out of my hand. I mean, and it's, it's obviously, <laughs> it's, it's a weapon, and you don't want it to slip out of your hand. I always just feel like just a little bit uncomfortable. So I, I actually prefer something with a bigger grip so mm -hmm. that I don't get that feeling. Sure. You talked about bad situations, like without getting into the details of specific people. But what are the, some of the techniques that people forget about? Like, some, what's the most common mistakes that people make or get too casual with when handling a gun? I've seen people look down the barrel of a gun that's got a magazine loaded. You have no idea whether or not they've cleared their weapon, but yet it's not firing for some reason. So the first thing they want to do is look down the barrel, or they have something wrong and they want to show you and so they point the gun at you instead of keeping it you know downrange right, right. things like that they get corrected pretty immediately by the people that are on the range but when we were on training exercises you'd have war games or whatever and you'd use blanks sometimes you know because you use what's called miles gear and these blanks fire a laser and it's kind of like really sophisticated laser tag but if you put something in the barrel with a blank that that gunpowder will still propel that out of your barrel. I mean, I've seen guys put cleaning rods down the barrels of their, and these things sticking to trees three to four inches. So if, if they would accidentally shoot it at somebody, I mean, it would impale them. These aren't toys. And sometimes I think people just think that they're just pretend. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I really do. It's not going to hurt you. And this is something that's got teeth and it'll hurt you. Oh, big time. Big time. So we live in the state of Illinois. We're in the Chicago area. How does one in Illinois, how does one go about obtaining a gun? Like, just break it down for me, the steps. Well, you know, and that's the thing. Obviously, we live in Illinois. Illinois has got some of the tightest gun laws of any state. Chicago, specifically, has some pretty stringent gun laws. But long and short of it, as long as you are 21 years of age, you've completed a training course, you have a valid FOID card, and you meet certain qualifications, you can purchase firearm. Now, the, the FOID card, so the firearm owner identification card, you get that from the state police. So you fill out an application and then you send it to the state police. They do a background check, see if you've got any domestic violence, if you've got any, you know, if you were dishonorably discharged from the military, if you've got any history of mental health problems, you know, if you're a felon, that's the kind of stuff that they look at. Are you excluded for any kind of mental health issue? If it's something that's been reported to the state, yes. And I'll get into that in, in a second, too. But that's basically it. Then, you know, so say you've found a firearm you want to purchase. You go to the store, take your driver's license, you take your FOID card. You have to fill out uh, the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms Form 4473. And it's basically address, copies down your FOID number, copies down your driver's license number, your social where you were born, all that. And then it's got a list of questions. And then it asks you if you've had a history of mental disorder, if you've got any, you know, outstanding warrants, if you've got any domestic violence orders of protection against you. If, there's a list of questions. And part of the problem is you have to be honest when you fill this out because a lot of these things aren't in any kind of database, right? For me, that's part of the problem because what's to prevent somebody from saying, 
No, I have none of this. Right. If you want to buy a a long gun, it's twenty four hour waiting period. Long guns, rifle. A, a rifle or a shotgun. Shotgun. Okay. A handgun's a seventy two hour waiting period from the exact time that you check out. So whatever it says on your receipt is the exact time. Seventy two hours later for a handgun. Twenty four hours later for a rifle or a, a long gun that you can go pick it up. Illinois just instituted the purchasing from a private seller. It used to be there was no mandate. There was no, I could just sell a gun to my brother if I wanted to. And I could just, you know, write down a piece of paper. Now I have to get his FOID card number, call it into the state police. They basically give me a transfer number. And that's how they know that I'm transferring this gun to this person. A gun show in Illinois, they basically are supposed to do the same background check that say if I were going to Dick Sporting Goods in Illinois. It's not the case all over the, the country, but at least in Illinois, mm-hmm. if you buy from a gun show, and the gun show is the parking lot of the, the gun show, it's the inside, it doesn't matter, it's anywhere at the event. Prior to this rule, you could literally go to a gun show and swap, exchange, purchase a gun with very limited amount of record and no waiting period. I don't know about Illinois. I know other places in the country, yeah, you can. Okay. You, you can do that. But the other thing, too, about Illinois is... Non-residents of Illinois can't purchase handguns in Illinois, but they can purchase long guns and ammunition if they're residents of Iowa, Missouri, Indiana, Wisconsin, or Kentucky, or any other state that borders Illinois. So that limits people coming from out of state to procure their firearms and going handgun. Yeah, yeah. Handgun. I mean, you can buy a long gun, but this waiting period, right? Twenty-four hours, seventy-two hours. What is the waiting period supposed to do? Theoretically, I call it more of a cooling off period. Say you were, you know, mad at something and you were going to go buy a gun and you know do something you weren't supposed to. Hopefully, twenty-four hours later, you your cooler head has prevailed and and you're not, you know, in that same frame of mind. But also, it gives the state police time to do the background check, check with any other agencies that they might need to check with to make sure that you know you're legally allowed to own a firearm i can see that going both ways like i can see it being some people saying well that doesn't really do anything right you, you're heated you wait your 72 hours or i can see someone saying oh that's really good it's going to calm people down it's going to give not only the state but it's going to give that gun shop time to say okay do i really want to sell this gun to that person like you said guns are serious business any seller can deny somebody the purchase you know, if they don't feel right about it, they can say no. And so I think that's ultimately something that may not be considered enough by the seller because obviously they want to make a sale. They want to, and evaluating a person's body language, evaluating, you know, their mannerism, you know, and just saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm not comfortable selling you this. I think that can go a long way. You know, in the spirit of full disclosure, uh, probably a lot of people that listen to this are liberal in <laughs> my podcast. So for me, I am not anti-gun. If my wife would let me, I would probably have a gun in my home. I'll probably buy a gun in the future, but keep it at the range. I just, I enjoy shooting. And so, you know, we talked about this earlier, that this isn't a pro-gun, anti-gun discussion, but we just have candid discussion about guns and what they mean and things that are going on in our culture that is good and bad with guns. I sent you probably late in the game, 15 articles, right, on guns on both sides of the spectrum. Then you came into my basement, my studio, <laughs> with another 15, all the different ways to look at guns, right? So, so what we do know, in our country, it's almost like a one-to-one ratio of people to guns. Those guns are concentrated 
within 40% of the population. Of the 310 million, what was it, 88.1%? Yeah, or 88.8, yeah, something like to that. To 100 people, something like that. Yeah. So there are a lot of guns there's out There's a lot there. of guns. There's a lot right. of people, like, but like you said, there's a lot of people that collect coins. It's a hobby right. for a lot of people. But to be fair to coins, <laughs> hey, you can die from a coin, you can kill someone with a coin, but on average, a coin is not going to hurt someone like a gun. To be fair. That's true. But it's just like, I don't know if you saw the thing that I sent you earlier today. Yeah, yeah with the okay. guns on the treadmill. Like, that thing is not going to do anything to you. I mean, we can talk about, and we will talk about guns and gun laws and whatnot. Ultimately, what comes down to is the malice in somebody else's is heart that wants to do this some harm is the one that we need to focus on, too. So You came prepared with all these things. I just want to read these things. So... The ranking country, I'm going to go from 10 to number one. The ranking country for average number of firearms per 100 people. And I don't know how they determine people. This says all civilians. I don't know if it's... 310 million, including everybody in the right. United so States. This, this one says 270 million. So it's Well, a, it's still... Right, it's still a lot of people. So number 10 is Sweden at 31.6. So basically, every 100 people, 32 people own a gun. Uh, Uruguay... Same thing, 32 people. Iraq, 34 people. Saudi Arabia, 35 people. Cyprus, which is just a <laughs> surprise, 36 people per 100. Serbia, 38 people. Finland, 45. Switzerland, which I lived for a year, 46 people. Yemen, 55. And the United States is at 88.8. A lot of these countries are also countries that uh, required military service. Switzerland, I know, is if a male, you have to serve in the military or do three years of service. Two years in the military, three years of service, and everybody is a reservist up until, like, I don't know, the age of 40. This is just to show you the huge jump. And not only is it we have a larger number of people, our ratio is still higher. It's at least 50% more than the next country, and we're, we're a lot bigger. I thought those are interesting. Within the industrialized countries, you know, like our peers, like Germany and France, they're at 31. Germany's at 30 or 15. So of the 40% of the people that own guns always get classified in the media as like pro-gun. Right. And the other people that don't have guns get categorized as anti-gun. Anti and, and that's just not true. So like I don't own a gun. I'm not anti-gun. And I think there's this misconception out there that people that own guns are hardcore, all about NRA, don't Drive. want anything to change. And that's not true. It's not true at all. The people I talk to that own guns are like, I want good people to have guns. And I want bad people to not have guns. But I also want us to respect, you know, the Second Amendment, right? It's there for a purpose. I always fire back at them, well, are you in a militia? <laughs> because that's a big part of the Second Amendment. But at the end of the day, if you want to buy a, a Whopper with your money, Every day, you want to buy a Ferrari with your money, or you want to buy a gun. I just want you to be responsible with anything that you do, potentially when you could be putting other people at risk, right? I have a serious problem, especially with Uber and Lyft. I have a serious problem with drinking and driving. I don't want you to get hurt or anybody to get hurt, but I especially don't want you, for your mistakes, to hurt someone else. Sure. Going back to what you said, the responsibility aspect. I mean, I have a lot of friends that own guns. No, not, not a shocking surprise there. But to a person, if you were to ask them, do they care or do they really, is it going to make a big difference in their lives if there is a little bit more stringent background check? 
if there was a little bit longer waiting period. No, they don't care because they're procuring their, their firearms legally anyway. You know, so waiting an extra day, having to fill out another another form, it doesn't matter because they're not going out and using it to commit a crime. They're not using it to go out and, and do something that it's not intended for. Right. It's all for the intended purpose. So there's no real pushback. You know, I think a lot of it's overblown. I think we were talking earlier about, you know, the NRA. Uh, I love what they do to protect my rights as a gun owner, but I also get so frustrated with some of the things that they make it sound like, you know, you're going to lose every single, you know, gun right if, if you give in to this concession. It just makes sense that people with mental health issues should not have guns or access. It just makes sense that if you've committed a gun crime, you deserve to be in prison longer. I'm not even trying to play devil's advocate, but with anything, the regulation or restrictions, you always hear the it's a slippery slope, right? You know, we started here, we're going to go here, we're going to become socialists, and then we're going to, the government's going to control your weapons, and there's a whole bunch of things. So that's an argument, and some things, that's, that's just true, right? Well, but it's like we already talked about. You're already in a database if you purchase a weapon legally. If you purchase a gun at Dick's Sporting Goods, you're in a federal database. You're in the alcohol and tobacco and firearms database. And then if you transfer that weapon now in Illinois, legally, you're supposed to call and get the transfer number, so you're in another database. So if you're a law-abiding citizen doing things the right way, you're already in a database. That argument is, it's a moot, in my opinion. As a gun owner, what's your limit as far as, hey, no, stop. There's, there's no effing way to stop. Okay, I'm just going gonna, gonna to throw out some random things. That's fine. Craig, you can only own two guns. I would have a problem with that. You have a problem with that? Just because, you know, there are multiple things that I like to do that require a different firearm. If you like to hunt deer, if you like to hunt ducks, if you like to shoot targets, if you want to have something to protect yourself. I mean, I've got old shotguns from my grandpa that I don't even use, but the fact of the matter is, where do they count? All right. Okay. Throw another one at you. Every gun you own, you have to do 100 hours of training a year. 100 hours a year seems excessive, but I think everybody should have to do some sort of training. Okay. I mean, that's just logical. You, you, you've got to go to driver's ed to drive a car. Honestly, you should want to. You should want to be trained on a firearm. Well, you saw me. I was like, hey, I'm not going to I I shoot. I don't want to shoot until <laughs> I get a class. Like, I don't want to own a gun. And so I've taken a number of hours. No, and, and you should. Back in the 50s, and granted, I know it's the 50s, but gun safety was taught in school. They're everywhere, and you can always, it's just like the unintended firearm deaths, you know, the, the, the number that's in there. You read about them, seems like weekly. A child messing around in, in you know, their parents' bedroom finds a gun and ends up shooting themselves, that kind of thing. You know, number one, why wasn't that gun stored properly? That defies logic to me. Or even why is it low enough that a child could find it? Regardless, the fact is children that are that young are too young to be really properly educated anyway. So you should take that, obviously, out of their hands and, and, and you should want to have some sort of familiarization with a firearm because, like I said earlier, I think that's part of the problem. I think part of the problem for the people that are really opposed to them is they just don't know yep. about them. Right. They don't know. They've never had one. They've never shot one. They've never you know, handled one. And with anything that you're not familiar with, there's fear. One of the things I've noticed, this hasn't been proven out by any kind of study or anything, but... I feel like because there isn't a requirement to serve in the military, 
and that there is such a divided schism between we're city, we're urban, we're and you're rural, and this is what you do, this is what we do, that one of the things that has gotten lost is our ability to handle firearms. And I, I have no stats to prove this. I think that if people are trained to handle guns and weapons, and if you make it a part of, and not your everyday life, but make it, if it's a, if it's really a part of the culture and who we are, then people will be better trained because that speaks to the unintentional deaths, the mistakes, and knowing how to handle and store a firearm. And there's something to be said. Like, so when I lived in Switzerland, I would be taking the tram to and from dinner, to and from somewhere, and it wasn't uncommon to see someone with a rifle on there, like carrying a rifle like a like a backpack. Sometimes it was put together. Sometimes it was broken down. And you get to talking to people, and, and they're like, yeah, we were required every year to do, with the corporations they work for and the government, required to do, let's say, three weeks of reserve duty after serving their mandatory two years or three years. If you don't do military for two years, you have to do service. You go to a foreign country. I mean, I can see, though, being in the military in Switzerland may not be the hardest thing in the world. But when you're neutral? Yeah, well, well yeah, yeah. That, that whole new, no, that neutrality, I think that neutrality thing is, I don't know if it's necessarily true. That, that, that's a whole other podcast and story and, and all that good stuff. But, but what I, I guess what I'm saying is that there was a comfortability with weapons, with guns. It wasn't uncommon, right? People weren't afraid. That brings me to one of the other things, one of the other articles that you sent. But before I say that, there was, there was a Pew Research survey in March of 2013 that says 83% of all adults surveyed, 79% of gun owners, 86% of people living with a gun owner, and 74% of NRA households approve of background checks for private and gun show sales. You know, and as much as 40% of all gun sales are undocumented private party gun sales that don't require a background check. Even if you do it everything to the letter of the law, there's always going to be a way for people to circumvent that law. Right. It's just like the drug war. I mean, drugs have been illegal for how long, and yet the pipeline from Mexico or other points south into the United States is still as strong today as it was, you know, in the 90s. I get what you're saying. You know what I'm saying. There's always going to be a way. Therein lies the problem. Even if you let's look at Illinois again, we've got some of the most strict laws in the country. Absolutely. I mean, especially when you compare them to, like, like I said, Indiana earlier, yeah. where you only have to be 18 to buy. There's no waiting period. You know, you could just cash and carry. And that's an interesting point you make up, right? So, so one of the things that that happens in Chicago is we have a gun violence problem in our city, specifically in certain parts of the city, right? It's, it's highly concentrated. There's a good chance that within a 10-block radius of my home and a 10-block radius of your home where you live, you probably won't have any gun violence or gun deaths or violent crimes with a gun. True? True. And it makes the national news, and they're like, well, Chicago has these strict gun laws. Yes, they do, but Chicago is also borders Indiana, Chicago also is a quick drive to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Chicago is also a quick drive to Iowa. And if you're really adventurous, you can go to Kentucky. Or you can go to Missouri because Missouri is almost the same way. You don't have to have any kind of... I mentioned that and people say, well, these gun laws don't work. Well, you're right. They don't. It's hard for those gun laws to work when you could just 
I could drive literally 30 minutes to Indiana and just circumvent that strict gun law in Chicago, right? And I think you and I talked about this when we were at the range. They track where the guns were purchased for these violent crimes in the south side or in the city. And like it was a it was an inordinate amount that were purchased at one gun store right outside of Chicago, like right. in the suburb. And that's a problem. There are certain problems that need special solutions. And it takes more than just geographic, that location's gun laws to fix it. The gun problem is not just a gun problem. Some of it is social, some of it's economic. I, I get all that stuff. But the things that we can do policy wise. I think that we should come together and try to fix it because let's say I do all the training that I'm supposed to do and and I get a gun and I keep it at the range. Every time someone commits a crime with a weapon, it makes gun owners look a certain way, you know, and it makes gun owners dig in to defend their rights when when they shouldn't even be there. It should be like... Because the blame is being put on those gun owners and they're not the ones that are committing the crime. I agree with you. And so that's exactly right. They, They get defensive because... Everybody's lumping gun owners into the when these gun crimes are happening, and and lawful gun owners, they're basically getting persecuted for. I agree, and I, and what I think the the conversation should be is, how do we keep guns out of the hands of people that try? I I, I don't have a solution, but how do we how do we do that? Now, one could make the argument: Does a country need a one to one ratio of guns to citizens? Are there too many? I don't know. I don't know what the stats say that people's guns end up missing. They end up in the hand. The, the guns are coming from somewhere, right? And you probably have something over there that says where the guns are coming from. One of the things I would like to see is instead of us saying, protect all the guns, let's do this, let's come up with a solution like that works. And, I, and I'm talking about including the NRA. Say, hey, how do we, like, I wouldn't mind talking to someone from the NRA and say, how do we keep giving guns to able-bodied, legal people that do not have mental concerns going on or do not have felon backgrounds with felons and things like that. I want to I come up with a solution. I don't want to say, oh, Craig has never committed a crime in his life and he shouldn't have a gun. That's silly. That's just that's crazy. What have you done to, not, to warrant not getting a gun? What I get stuck on that is like when the policy doesn't shift to solving a problem. And it becomes taking data out of context and saying, strictest gun laws, it's not working. Well, we know why it's not working. We do know it's not working. But, you know, I think in this country, we all too often think it's weak if people cooperate. You know, whether it's Republican, Democrat, whether it's NRA, ACLU, whether it's whatever, it's almost divisive if you try to work together with, with somebody. Well, if you work together with someone, you go back to your constituents. Like, why are you why are you sitting down with that person? That person is the enemy. And know? that's when you have to have logic, frank discussions with people and say, "Listen, yeah. this is what we're trying to solve." Right. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, going back to you know where people get their guns, there's a Bureau of Justice stat in May of 2013: 37.4 percent of state prison inmates who used, carried, or possessed a firearm when they committed a crime obtained the gun from a family member or friend. And then there's, you know, another stat here real quick. That basically, between 2005 and 2010, 1.4 million guns were stolen from U.S. homes. That's crazy. Uh, including burglary and car theft. A yearly average of 232,000 are crazy. stolen. That's crazy. Their currency. I mean, people could get, get rid of a, a stolen gun like that. Right. The market is 232,000 guns a year are stolen. That kind of blew me away. I wonder out of how many that are stolen— 
are used for <laughs> crazy like crimes and bad things and, and whatnot. So let, let me go back to this question of like, what's too far? I'm going to spit some more stats at some folks, right? This one is from Wikipedia, and they do a good job of gathering information from a variety of sources for multiple countries, right? So United States, on this schedule, these are firearm-related deaths per 100,000 population per year. United States sits at 10.54. So there's 10 firearm-related deaths per 100,000. That's right after Uruguay, Panama, Brazil, Colombia, El Salvador, Jamaica, Guatemala, Venezuela, Honduras. So all, all those countries have high significant crime and then firearm-related. And then followed by Montenegro, Philippines, South Africa, Paraguay, Mexico has a lower rate. What is it? It's 7.6 people per 100,000 dying by firearm. Then followed by Costa Rica, Argentina, Peru, Nicaragua. And the countries with the best rates, you got Italy, Denmark, Latvia, Sweden, Greece, Portugal, Macedonia. You got numbers like ranging from one to two. Canada's at right exactly at two. So I mentioned these stats. And then another thing to mention, too, is that this is actually troubling in, in so many different ways. Of that 10.54, about 70% of that number is suicides. So even if we remove suicides, which you just can't do, right? Suicides are real. They're legitimate. Sure. It's a troubling statistic. It's a firearm death. Even if you remove suicides, it would still be in the top 20. So we still have a problem excluding suicides. You know, we're still, we would still be higher than Serbia, Finland, Barbados, and right there with Peru and Nicaragua. Um, I, I mentioned that is to go back to that statement I made. Let's say we do something like what Australia did or Canada did. We said no more guns, and we can get that number down to something that you could live with, right? Let's say we got it down to Canadian levels of two. Two deaths per 100,000 people, which would divide the number by five, even more than five. If you could get that number down to two from 10 point or almost 11, would that be infringing too much on your rights as a gun owner? If it meant saving that many more people? That's tough. No, I, I mean, you know, it's if that's what was ultimately decided, I mean, no, it would not be ideal. But if that was ultimately decided, I, I guess I'd take up golf. We wouldn't have a choice, right? There are countries that we're compared to. You say the Western world, right? You know, you look at England and... Great Britain has its own issues, right, with a whole bunch of other type of violence going on. But when you look at deaths by firearms in places that are our peers economically, government-wise, things like that politically, we are by far the worst when it comes to death by firearm. And I wonder if we want to be best in class, or would we be willing as a country to make that sacrifice to get there, to save the lives of others? even though it meant that you would have to give up or people that own guns would have to give up their rights to own guns. And I know it's fundamentally a part of who we are as far as our history and our country. I, I just wonder how people would think about that. I hear in your voice, you're like, I wouldn't advocate for it, but if it was decided, okay. That's just a different way to think, right? I mean, I, I never considered that question. I mean, to be honest, so... Because there are solutions out there, right? That worked. It worked in Australia. It worked in Canada. There's got to be solutions. I mean, there are solutions, right? We know that. I always feel that that question, for people that are really passionate about gun ownership, it's a really tough one for them to grapple with because it, it's like, one, I grew up with this. 
I'm safe. But then it, you can see it in their eyes, like, but shit is bad in certain places with guns. Right? Sure. It's almost like, you know, if I'm going to give that up, well, then we're going to get rid of cigarettes, too, and we're going to get rid of, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? If I'm giving this up, well, you know, cigarettes kill a hell of a lot of people every year, too, and vaping and all that garbage. So, you know, we're going to get rid of all that, too. One of the things you brought up, one of the reports that you brought me was, like, the cause of death, right? All deaths. Heart disease is 26%. Cerebrovascular disease, 6%. Alzheimer's disease, 3%, diabetes, 3%, influenza, 2%, traffic accident, 1.6%, septicemia, 1.4%, poisoning, 1.4%, firearms, 1.2%, and there's a whole bunch of other ones, right? A gun is different than all those things. It is, but, you know, it's, it's like I said, though, the gun is just metal and plastic that cannot do anything to you that I don't want it to do. It's like that video. A gun's not going to put cartridges in itself. It's not going to aim itself at you. It's not going to pull the trigger itself. You could set that gun right there for you know as long as you want, and you're perfectly safe. Nothing will happen to right. you until you put that human element. No doubt. Interact with that gun. The human element is... The flip side of the coin on that argument, though, is that if a, if a person storms into a school with bad intentions with a gun, and instead of having a gun, he just had a machete... He's going to do some damage to the machete. On average, going to do a whole lot less damage. Well, and that's a whole different argument, too, because, you know, there we can talk about high-capacity magazines. Do we need those? We don't. You don't need a magazine that's going to hold 30 rounds. I mean, do we have some? Yeah. But do I need them? No. Yeah. Would I give them up? Sure. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is, I know I'm going to hit what I... at anyway, you give me five rounds, it's going to be, you don't need 30. You don't, honestly, there's no practical application for a 30 round magazine unless you are in the military. 30 round magazine. Some people might not know what you're talking about. All right. So assault weapons, a made up term from people that advocate for gun control that the AR 15 is an Armalite rifle 15. The AR is the manufacturer. It has nothing to do with assault rifle or anything like that. It's just, yep. it's just kind of funny. But anyway, you know, an AR-15, an M-16, like when I was in the military, can accept a 30-round magazine. So 30 cartridges can fit in this magazine, and so I can shoot 30 rounds with 30 separate pulls of the trigger. The only weapons that you can purchase are either bolt action, which feeds one round at a time, and then you got to cycle the bolt yourself manually, a pump shotgun where you've got to pump it every time you pull a trigger, a semi-automatic weapon every time i pull the trigger one round fires but i have to pull the trigger manually every single time average person unless you've got a special federal firearms license cannot buy an automatic weapon basically i just pull the trigger down and it just shoots you can't do that you've got to have special bureau of firearms licensing for that it's illegal to own stuff like that not so obviously well it's illegal to own a lot of things for people but doesn't mean that they don't have them so anyway yeah 30 round magazine like i said when i was in the military that's what we carried Yep. Because, you know, when you're in that environment, you need many rounds as you can handle. A magazine is the cartridge or, or the container that holds, holds the, the cartridge. Bullets. Yes. All right. You slide that into the, the bottom of the magazine. And then do you need to have that many as a civilian? As No, you don't. You can just reload. Would that solve a lot of problems? A lot of the mass shootings that you talk about and we read about, that's what allows them to continually shoot. If they had to stop... They had to reload. Just think about those incidences, and if they had to do that, it would allow people to intervene. Do you think it's a logical policy or discussion 
to say the way to stop guns is more guns on the street. Is more guns? Yeah, it's like, let's allow teachers to have guns. Let's put more guns in the schools because then you could offset the guns that are already there. I honestly have mixed feelings on that. As a father, I want my child in school to be as safe as possible. I remember when I was in school, I never had a fear of somebody coming into school with a weapon and trying to harm us. Never crossed my mind when I was in grammar school or high school or even honestly even college and now you know it's not like I think about it every day but you obviously read about incidents where it happens and and so it can happen I guess I'm on the side where I don't know I I I mean there would have to be immense training involved a lot of schools have service officers but you know some of them have part-time, they have off-duty officers working, you know, their side security gigs. And, you know, there are universities like Texas, and they, they're like, oh, if if our students are responsible and we let them walk around campus with conceal and carry in the classrooms. Well, in Texas, you can open carry, and that's a whole different argument in itself, you know, which, why does anybody need to open carry? Why do you need to brandish it, a, a weapon on your hip? Why do you need to show people that you have that you but show you know force with force you actually have more force if, if they don't know you have it it's a lot of people think it's a deterrent to have this I remember when i was in the army i, I was stationed at fort Huachuca, arizona and uh, i went to the post office one day and i'm i mean it's downtown sierra vista arizona driving going to the post office and i walk in the door and there's a guy with a glock on his hip and i was like well, I mean, no badge. I mean, because most time, if you see a police officer, they've got a badge right next to it, so you know they're law enforcement. Right. Nothing. And I was just like, oh. One of the guys that I was stationed with looked at me, and I was just like, and he saw what I was looking at, and he basically he was like, oh, this is Arizona. You can do that. I was like, what? You can just openly brandish and carry a firearm on your hip. It made no logical sense to me 20 years ago, and it makes no logical sense to me now. Concealed carry is a whole different ballgame to me. I mean, nobody knows you have it. That's the whole point of the world conceal it shouldn't imprint it shouldn't tint your shirt it shouldn't i mean nobody should be even aware that you have it that's the whole point it doesn't impact anybody else's life whereas i've heard people say you know well if i see somebody open carry i'm gonna apprehend them no you're not that's just exacerbating a situation that's just ridiculous yeah but that's what the kind of mindset it causes people are so on one side or the other it's yeah. such a polarizing issue that you know they want to do stupid things and you don't the last thing you want to do is do something like that the open carry, concealed carry, I guess I'll I, I just live in the world where if the statistics show that it helps and the people are trained and the crime doesn't go up, I'm, I'm all about things that work. You show me the numbers and it works and you're responsible. I'm also for this. If you, I, just, I feel like there needs to be more stringent laws on crimes committed with guns and not even just for the people committing the crime with the gun, but the people that the gun came from like if you say there's 220,000 guns stolen a year let's say eight percent of those end up in crimes i think the people that the guns were stolen from have to bear some of the responsibility for the crime at hand too it can be looked at as a slippery slope but it's your responsibility to protect yourself from your gun and others from your gun and there's things you can do like your car gets stolen report your gun you're good it was stolen. The gun, nothing you could do about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know? And and I, I totally agree with that. I think that there needs to be a lot more liability on gun owners that are not responsible about storage, not responsible. I mean, like we talked about earlier, you know, if a child were to harm themselves, kill themselves with playing with a loaded gun, as horrifying as that would be for a parent, I think the parent bears some responsibility there. Like I said, these 
are tools that are capable of, of causing immense damage and immense harm to people if used in improper way. If they're in the wrong hands, they can be used improperly. And if you haven't properly transferred it, if, like say you sold it, but you didn't properly transfer it, well, you know what? You should be face some recourse for that. If, you, if they were stolen, if you didn't have them in a safe, mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I guess a, a thief could take your safe, but if they were just behind the door or in a dresser drawer or something like that, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of ways to be responsible. And I don't think it all comes to disarming people. I mean, because criminals don't obey the law. I mean, that it might be just that potential fear of a retaliation from somebody, from a victim that may just cause them to think again and pause and think, you know, hey, maybe do I want to do this? You've heard it, but if you if you outlaw guns, only outlaws are going to have guns. If you outlaw guns, outlaws will have guns, but then you need to come down hard. You do. If you commit a gun crime, you should go to prison for a lot longer time. I mean, you absolutely should. And that's where local lawmakers come in. And, and like we talked about Chicago and Illinois, if going to Indiana or Missouri or Kentucky to get a gun is such an easy thing for an Illinois resident, I would be lobbying those states to be like, listen, if somebody comes from Illinois, I don't want you selling residents of Illinois guns anymore. I mean, they should be working with those states being like, listen, you know, we've got such an influx of weapons coming from Indiana into Illinois. Stop it. No longer can you sell somebody with a driver's license. Or even suburban districts. I mean, I hear you. You're going to always get pushback, though, from the lobbyists. and Always. And that's the thing. That's why, And that ultimately is why nothing ever gets done, because you know what? But I feel like there's got to be a way to get a coalition of people to say, I want to bear arms, but I also want, I want to be one of many good people that aren't trying to do bad things. And even good people at times would do bad things. I mean, like I said, Canada sure. is still two per 100,000, but two per 100,000 is better than 10.5 per 100,000. You know what I mean? And you're right. People are going to do bad things. I just want fewer gun deaths. I want us to work on the suicide rate, and I also want us to work on overall gun deaths and murder rates. We are supposed to be the leaders of the free world. We have to be able to solve this. We put a freaking man on the moon. This is something that, in my mind, is solvable if we allow ourselves to solve it. Before you go, because I'm trying to respect your time, because uh, I know you're, you're busy, there's been a lot of coverage in the media of police officers shooting African-American males. And we're not here to talk about that. right? That's just a whole other ball of wax. But there was one incident that happened in Minnesota. And everybody saw the video. And I'm not here to talk about police brutality, overly aggressive police. Really, what I want to talk about is like the overall kind of this theme of gun ownership and license, concealed carry, and also the role the NRA plays in this. You saw the video. I saw the video. We have different perspective, right? I didn't grow up around guns. You did. But from my perspective and the things that I read, this individual did everything he was supposed to do. Like you said, you're not obligated. I don't know about in Minnesota, but in Illinois, you're not obligated. He told the person that he had a concealed carry. The officer asked for his ID. There are things legally that he didn't have to do that he probably could have done on his own, or the officer could have asked him, right? The officer could have asked him, hey, could you just put your hands outside the window? Or the guy could have said, hey, I'm going to put my hands on the steering wheel. (laughs) I'm going to reach. I'm going to reach right now. But everybody doesn't have to have that conversation, right? It's just like, hey, I'm you asking for this, I'm going to give it to you. From the outside, he did everything he was supposed to do. He got shot. The second part of it, and I want your feedback on it, is that 
from what I understand, because I do want to own a gun and I do a little bit of research, this case was a textbook case for the NRA to protect gun owners' rights. This is an example of municipality or government, local, federal, whatever you want to call it, overreach and taking rights away from a licensed person. And I haven't heard anything from the NRA. So, yes, you are correct. In Illinois, if you're carrying concealed, if you're stopped by a police officer, you do not have to tell them that you are carrying unless you're asked, specifically asked if you have a weapon. To the case in Minnesota, yes, he, by all accounts, by everything that I saw, probably the scariest part of it from somebody that has carried concealed, does carry concealed, you know, he was up front and let them know that he had this. Should he have put his hands out the window? Should he have said, I'm leaving my hands on the steering wheel? If you, you know, tell me what you want me to do. Regardless, he did what I would have done. And that's why it's scary to me is that that's what I would have done. I mean, could that have, you know, been, I don't know. But then to your last question is, yeah, where are they? They're not anywhere. And granted, I'm not a member of the NRA, but you're right. You would have thought that this would have been a slam dunk. Oh, my gosh. Concealed carry member did everything he was supposed to and got shot. And we are going to have your asses. But And we don't have to get into this, but it's also worth noting that you and I watched this independently. We actually didn't talk about that footage until today. But we we both when we were taught before we started we both were like what we saw how do how does twelve people I don't know right it's a bigger discussion about that stuff but it's it's like wow you know let's just remove race anybody there are black people white people Hispanic people whatever women getting shot by the police right and you always hear the or if they would have done this or if they would have done that. Or they shouldn't have run. Or they, they did everything right. From what we could see. From what I could see. And that's, and, that, and that's why, like I said, I preface, you know, I don't know how 12 people could not. But I wasn't in the courtroom. I don't know what else they were presented. I don't know what instructions they were presented. I don't know right, anything. Right, right. But from just the video, yes, it's baffling. For people out there listening that don't know shit about guns and don't know anything about what you've experienced, do you have any last final words for them? If you're curious, go learn. You know, go to a place like yeah. we did. Go to Maxson's out in Des Plaines. They would love to teach you, take you around the yeah. ins and outs and take you in and let you, you know, shoot once they've given you some training. I guess that's my thing. If you're curious, and I, I know people out there are, I know yeah. firearms are enigmatic things for people. You know, they just, you know, there's such a stigma around them. But go see for yourself because, you know, there's so many misconceptions out there. There's so much sensationalism in the media, Mm -hmm. you know, and like I said about these, you know, congressmen that, you know, are talking about clips, you know, and ghost guns and stuff, stuff like that. That's not even a thing. Right. But it's but they've got a microphone in front of them and they say it and all of a sudden it's true. And and there's just so much misinformation that go find out for yourself. It's not expensive. and, And you might actually come away saying, eh. That's not so bad. For everyone that does have a level of intrigue, I will say this. And you go into a gun range, there is a level of implied trust. Absolutely. I told you that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just telling people, like, I like to go shooting. I prefer to go to ranges 
that are like spread out, that are outdoor. Yeah. When you go to some indoor ranges, you're in close counters with people you don't know. You are. I think I mentioned that to you when we went to Maxon's. I was just like, you know, every time I come in here, you are on a heightened sense of hyper alertness almost because yeah. you, it is an inherent trust that everybody's going to do this the correct way. Knock on wood to date. The folks that are in there that are running the place, super professional. Oh, they're, abs- they're outstanding. They want you to have fun but they mostly want you to be safe for yourself and for the people around you. And and they'll go the extra mile to explain, Hey, this is what this is. This is what this does. If you're just beginning, let's do this. And I personally thought it was a cool experience, but I, I like to shoot guns for sport. Not the big, big, like, Oh, I need to protect my household and, and whatnot. Cause not to end on this, but you made a good point when we, we went shooting that like for like home protection, a gun, typically is still a close range activity you're not going to be shooting someone that's 10 feet so they're going to be up on you no matter what same with a concealed carry you're not going to be shooting somebody with a pistol at 50 yards right right they're going to be up on you it's going to be 10 feet do you trust yourself to make those decisions really good decisions that's where training that's what i said that's what it all comes back to i appreciate you coming in being candid thanks for all the information i'm gonna keep all this stuff and whatnot anything else you gave you gave Maxons a, a free plug, well. <laughs> but no, those guys are good though. I I, I appreciated them because uh, they definitely made me feel safer <laughs> when I was there um, and whatnot. So I appreciate you coming in and doing this. This is awesome. Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah. Intro, Mixy editing is done by Melissa Moxley produced by me Rock our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls and the song is City of Dystopia if you want to contact us directly feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter our handle is at deeperdishshy our website is www.deeperdishshy.com